We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, it's Bo Matthews. Welcome to my portion of the program here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. A quick reminder that you can download the Radio.com app to your phone so you can connect that to your Alexa or your car. Whenever you are traveling, you can take KMOX with you anywhere you go, even if you're going for a walk with the dog or maybe going for a bike ride. There's a cycling explosion going on. That's the headline. It's a cycling explosion. A lot of people are out riding. The pandemic has pushed a huge group of people buying and riding bicycles. Retailers, large and small, are experiencing shortages on bikes, and I can attest to that because uh, just last week I was at Walmart in Arnold, and as I'm doing my shopping, you know, of course you've got to cover all million square feet of ground to get everything you need, but I made my way past the automotive section, and I made my way up to the sporting section, and all those racks where they normally have all those bicycles for sale on display were gone. Every single one of them was gone. I thought, you know, I have been seeing a lot of people out there buying bicycles, and I'm guessing a lot of their bicycles might be made in China, so those boats aren't coming to America anymore bringing those, but the cycling explosion is a real thing. A lot of people are buying them and riding them, getting some use out of them. Heck, if you've got an old bicycle, uh, old uh, you know, 10-speed, or, or maybe you have a big fat tire bike, you want to get out and get some exercise, it's a great way to do it, but retailers, large and small, are definitely experiencing shortages and some specific models are back-ordered until, check this out, October. But people who already have a bike uh, but haven't ridden in a while may have to wait up to a week to get a tune-up done at their local bike shop. Of course, uh, the Eureka Bike Shop that we talked to a couple of weeks ago on my program, business has been thriving because it's just a great way to get some exercise. But if you haven't dusted off your bike, maybe you want to do that. Uh, get it out of the garage, get it off the hooks from the garage, and get it out there. And again, don't forget to take your phone with you because you'll have radio.com on your phone. Then you can listen to your earbuds and listen to KMOX in crystal clear digital sound. Other great news coming from KMOX.com is that Ted Drews is hoping to uh, reopen next week with new safety measures in place, of course. But owner Travis Dillon says they're not going to publicize an official opening until they think it's safe to do so. And I've driven by that building so many times. And it's like, come on, when is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? I saw on Facebook somebody had gone to Crown Candy and got one of their their uh, their uh, uh, BLTs, the Monster BLTs. So these are promising. These are, these are things that are starting to happen. Another thing, do you miss going to the mall? 
I mean, I don't go to the mall very often because we're all, you know, trained to shop online now. But sometimes it's nice to go and just go for a walk, especially when the weather is questionable. The good news is St. Louis area malls are reopening starting on Monday. For more details on that story, go to KMOX.com. Now, Missouri Casinos, they've made an announcement that they are going to be allowed to reopen June 1st. That's in the Missouri side. Alton Argosy, Casino Queen, no timetable as of yet for reopening. But, you know, when I think about the things that I miss so much from not leaving the house, the quarantine, stay-at-homes, you know, all all these rules we're living by, I'm really just missing my favorite restaurants, the Hawthorne in uh, Labadee, Missouri. Great place. And uh, and they're going to start opening up again. You have to check their website. They've got a great baked spaghetti that is over the top. But on KMOX.com, we have a food fight going on, a good old-fashioned food fight, and it's a burger battle, and we invite you to get your vote in uh, on who has, what restaurant has the best burger. And actually, we've got a whole series going on. This month, it's casting your vote for the best burger in St. Louis, but uh, we're going to be picking out different categories. But the month of May is all about the burgers, so you can go on and you can uh, get your vote in for who has the best burger. Now, I've gone to several of these places, and I miss them all. Uh, Although I've figured out how to do a pretty good job on my grill with a burger, but who has the best burger at which restaurant? The High Point Drive-In. Oh, it's such a cool place. Uh, I've been there within the last year, and the food was so good. But do they have the best burger? Max Local Eats, Seamus McDaniels, Bailey's Range, Carl's Drive-In, Layla, O'Connell's Pub, Five Star Burgers, The Dam, Village Bar, Olive and Oak, Capitol Grill. Who's got the best burger? If you've got an opinion, we want to hear about it. And all you have to do is head on over to KMOX.com to get your vote in. Now, we're going to continue that food fight, uh, and that's going to begin in June, June 1st, the Deli Rumble. After that, the Battle of the Barbecue. Boy, that's going to be a knockdown drag out. And the Wings Showdown in August. We're going to find out who's got the best wings in town in KMOX's Food Fight at KMOX.com. And I think this is really big news for a lot of people that are tired of being stuck at home or stuck in their backyard. Uh, Next week, the St. Louis County Parks are uh, going to be opening up to the public next week, which, you know, when you go out there, it's going to be a little bit different, too, because there are restrooms and indoor facilities and courts and shelters and exercise stations and playgrounds and skate parks. they will all remain closed, but the parks themselves will be opening. So I think that's good news. And for those of you that have been doing uh, a lot of spring cleaning, maybe a whole bunch, uh, think Marie Kondo. We did that last year. That was uh, that was good. If you don't know what that is, the Marie Kondo way, uh, only keep whatever brings you joy. But if you've done some spring cleaning in recent past, uh, heads up for you that uh, Goodwill stores reopening and all the thrift stores. St. Vincent de Paul does a wonderful job, and uh, Salvation Army has a, a great uh, a great allotment of stores. And my wife and I actually we enjoy going to them and and seeing what they've got, uh, what you know people throw away that you know one man's trash is another man's treasure. And we've been doing our spring cleaning as well, like. <laughs> Uh, over and over and over and you know selling a few things which is good but when you want to donate we enjoy donating to St. Vincent de Paul again we think that they do a great job so there's you know a couple of things uh, of good note to look forward to in the coming weeks as the country is trying to reopen in different phases you know there's still a lot to be um, discovered about what's going on 
uh, but the mindset. Our mindset is so important. Matter of fact, coming up on the show, there's a guy who, uh, he's an escapologist, but he also uh, can help you open up your mind. If you've ever dreamed of not only remember your dreams that you have, uh, but to actually direct your dreams, Michael Telstar is going to join us. Uh, he's in Ontario, Canada. He's going to join us in the second hour on the program. Plus, there's a great book out called Ending Parkinson's Disease. And if you have uh, a family member or a friend or yourself that's been touched by Parkinson's, you know how uh, terrible it can be. Well, there is hope. And we've got one of the doctors that wrote the book, Ending Parkinson's Disease, coming up on the program as well. Another story, which is is very sad, but uh, Jeffrey Epstein, a billionaire, pedophile, uh, he uh, committed suicide in jail back in August. Well, all of the hundreds of people uh, that he violated over the many years, it's horribly sad, but there is a book out right now by Brad Edwards. Uh, he wrote a book about his relentless pursuit to bring uh, Jeffrey Epstein to justice and, of course, it, you know, he was brought to justice, but then uh, controlled the situation on how he left this planet. Uh, but Brad Edwards going to be a great uh, conversation with him. Also, for those of you that have been doing Zoom meetings and uh, new Facebook rooms, if you've been doing some of that, you know, there is there is some work that needs to be put into it. Because if you get onto a Zoom meeting and you see everybody's static face, you know, there's way to brighten it up or lighten it up and maybe come out of your shell. We're all kind of living in a shell right now, right? Well, BJ Lang is from Second City Improv, and they actually have online classes. Used to be you had to go to New York or Canada or Chicago or L.A. for Second City. Well, now in this new world we live in, you can actually take improv classes online and it's not just for people that want to be a comedian or an actor or an actress no it's business people it's people that are having meetings like i said on on these video chats and stuff it, there's there's a way to to enhance that situation not only for you but the people that see you on their screen so there's a lot to dig into and i hope you can uh, stick around and enjoy uh, the program for the next couple of hours again my name is bo matthews and i really do want to urge you to download that radio.com app to your device whether it's to your phone or tablet so you can connect by bluetooth all of your gadgets whether it's your vehicle or your alexa it's just really a wonderful way to listen to KMOX and all that we bring to you on a daily basis, and you get to hear it in crystal clear digital sound. So go to where you buy your apps and then download the radio.com app. It's a big blue R. You can't miss it. I'm Bo Matthews. We've got more to come on The Voice of St. Louis, including honoring National Police Officers Week. Uh, Lance LaRusso has a uh, take on the morale and the lack of respect for law enforcement all across this country. We're going to talk to Lance here in just a moment, former police officer and attorney on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX, and this is National Police Week. It's a it's a week that I pay a lot of respect to because I didn't have what it took to become a police officer. Although I mentioned it to my father, who was lifetime Air Force, I, I said, I was thinking about following your footsteps. And he says, nah, I don't think you're military material. I said, well, maybe a police officer. I'm a big guy. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll be a good cop. He says, nah, it's kind of the same thing. He says, I don't think you got the material for it. So I respect that uh, opinion from my father, and I respect all 
police, as we all should, and it is time to honor law enforcement. And my guest, Lance LaRusso, he's a leading attorney. He's a former police officer, so he's been behind the badge. And he's the author of critically acclaimed books, When Cops Kill and Hunting of Men. The public's attitude towards law enforcement in the recent past, do you feel that in the community right now? Well, you know, I started policing in the late 80s, and I remember the old-timers, God, they were like 50, and we used to laugh at them, uh, and they were talking about how terrible it was in the 70s. Some of those same folks now, you know, they're all retired, but they're saying, yeah, this is what it was like. Uh, The morale is low. There's been a 90% drop in recruiting in some areas. It hasn't gotten any better, and, you know, law enforcement has become the whipping post for a lot of people to grab headlines. And then we have just hyping that takes place after these situations. So I've kind of developed a formula that we've been seeing. We have an officer-involved shooting. We have speculation. We have people coming forward who really didn't see anything. We have politicians jumping on it. And then it takes like six or eight weeks for talk screens to come back and then for the investigation to be done. And then when the officers cleared, instead of saying those horrible words in the English language, I was wrong, then the system's biased. So we've seen so many officers, I've represented uh, close to 100 officers in officer-involved shootings now, that their lives, not just their careers, their lives have been ruined because of rank speculation when ultimately what they did was deemed to be appropriate. And it's so sad. But do you, as a as a, an attorney for so many police officers, do you see a way that we can turn around the, the public attitude towards law enforcement? Because when's the last time a little kid has been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they used to say firefighter or police officer or doctor. And now you hear from little kids, I, I want to be rich and famous. That's what I want to be. Well, you know, who doesn't want to be a rock star? But not, <laughs> not everybody can be. You know, I think that what's turning it around, first of all, is realizing that the number of people who really can't stand the police is a very small group. They just happen to be really loud, and it's kind of like an open mic night. They're in front of the mic, and people won't take it away from them. I think that overwhelmingly people support the police. And what's going to turn this around is for police to be vocal. In my book, Blue News, I talk about law enforcement and media interactions and law enforcement needs to tell their own story, and it's a great story. Changing tires for people, these parades that you see for seven-year-olds that, uh, you know, can't get out of their house during the COVID lockdown. All these awesome things they do, brag more. And then for the public to stand up and brag more and say, we're not going to tolerate the negative stories that don't have a basis. We're going to call people on it when they come out and uh, say things negative about law enforcement. 10 minutes after a shooting before they even know any of the facts. Lance LaRusso is a leading attorney, former police officer, and an author talking about National Police Week and the morale behind the police or the lack of morale in some areas. Most often, police officers, at the core, they take their oath and they take it to heart. Yes, you are going to have a bad cop story every once in a while. Are you feeling that, that they feel that there is hope You know, I think the fact that law enforcement officers are still coming to work every day, even with all of the risks from COVID, we've lost about 101 or 102 law enforcement officers to COVID since all this started nationally. You know, they're coming to work every day. They have the positivity, and and sometimes, God love them, I don't know how they do, uh, how they do it. Um, You know, I can tell you when you just look at the basic facts, when you look at the, uh, the lies that have been told, 
when you have law enforcement officers involved in shootings, you have to start with a premise, and it's an absolute truth. Law enforcement officers make about 12 to 13 million custodial arrests a year. 12 to 13 million. And I'm not talking, well, you know, a ticket is an arrest. I'm talking about hands behind your back, cuffed, and go to jail. Right. Law enforcement officers shoot and kill less than 1,000 people a year. Well, when you combine that with the fact that we're letting people out of jail at incredible rates, oh. give people probation and all sorts of other breaks for violent crimes, law enforcement is not the problem. We have a societal problem of people that refuse to comply with commands, even lawful commands, 100% proper commands from law enforcement. Right. And when you do that as a citizen, you appropriately raise the suspicion of a reasonable law enforcement officer. And when you start doing that, you're, lead, you're basically, people talk about de-escalation, escalation. you are escalating the situation when you refuse to respond to lawful commands. That is absolutely a great point. You touched on we're uh, releasing prisoners out of jail, you know, at an alarming rate because of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. What's the mindset of the police officers that you talk to that, you know, they know they put this person away and now they're just automatically released because of the COVID-19. I can't even wrap my head around that process. Well, it's extremely upsetting to them, uh, unfortunately, and this is just a terrible thing to say. They're used to it. <laughs> you know, they hear about law enforcement officers being shot or law enforcement officers being killed by somebody who's a repeat offender with uh, four and five um, felony convictions. We had uh, a state trooper a few years ago in Georgia who was killed by somebody who was given probation and uh, for felonies in the double digits. Mm. So unfortunately, they're used to it and they recognize it's part of the job. Uh, but, you know, the interesting thing, we have people wanting to fix a societal problem of too much crime. And especially when we get athletes talking about this and complaining about law enforcement, if they would use their celebrity status to go into communities and keep kids away from gangs and keep crime down, Instead of being on the other side and criticizing police, it is amazing to me as a society that we have people advocating that the only way to reduce crime is to stop arresting people for it, decriminalize things, or let people out of jail. It's a crazy world we're living in. National Police Week, my best to you. Lance LaRusso, thank you so much. I've got two books, uh, When Cops Kill and Hunting of Men. What's your other book called? The other book is called Blue News, and the profits from Blue News and Hunt and uh, When Cops Kill and also Peacemaking, which is about a cop's walk with Christ, the profit from all three of those books go to law enforcement charities. To date, we've donated about $28,000, and people can go to Lance LaRusso Books or HuntingOfMen.com. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, thank you for doing the heavy lifting for our police officers. My honor to do it. Take care. Uh- Stay right there. When we come back, we're going to talk to B.J. Lang. He is actually a guy from St. Louis but living in L.A., and he thinks that improvisational training could help you with maybe your next Zoom meeting, whether it's for business or for school. We're going to talk to B.J. Lang from Second City Improv coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. And again, we want to take a, a, a moment just to like take a deep breath. I wanted to, you know, maybe find a little lighter moment in the show. And so I've been connected with BJ Lang. BJ is actually from St. Louis, not living in St. Louis now, but BJ Lang is uh, working with uh, Second City. You've heard that improv group, uh, Second City. They're very famous, and a lot of people have made it to Saturday Night Live and that kind of thing. BJ, welcome back home, big boy. Thank you very much, Bo. What an honor to be on KMOX. I, I, I just, I, I almost feel like I just need to pause and just see if I can hear the Cardinals game come through. Oh boy, you know, KMOX. wouldn't that be a dream? Actually, BJ uh, had a, a pretty good run with the Stephen DC show in St. Louis for about four years. Uh, what, what was, what was the name you went by on the Stephen DC show? So back then, from about 2000, 2004, I was the stunt boy for Stephen D.C. I went by the No Limit Honky because there was no limits to what this honky would do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember some of those bits, actually. And, boy, they, they ran you through the ringer, didn't they? They did. Uh, dressing as a woman, going to the gynecologist, uh, getting attacked by the police dogs, and, of course, my two-year-in-court situation over at Southwest Illinois College when I barged in on one of the professors during a history lecture yeah it was a fun time bro what else can i say and you 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 didn't get a felony because you went into the air force i didn't join the military until i was you ready for this here we go 35 but i was 35 years old when i enlisted into the air force reserve i always wanted to serve so uh finally after serving in civil air patrol for many years the air force auxiliary and putting on a uniform but not getting paid for it i was like you know what i should probably do this so became an Air Force medic, and yes, it did almost uh, eliminate me from joining the Air Force because when they ran my background, obviously I had some stuff on there. Uh, some no stuff. Let's call it stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, just, just a few things, you know. Uh, yeah, that gynecologist bit. Like, I had to talk to, like, psychologists when they were asking about my, my history, and they're like, wait a minute, why, what is this? And what do you mean you dressed as a woman that went to the gynecologist? I'm like, I was the stunt boy on a morning show. I was an intern in college. <laughs> So, so you're, it, it's what we, we're doing it for the art, Bo. We're doing it for the art. This exactly. Quality entertainment. So you're in LA now, living in Hollywood, um, and are, and yeah. obviously every every production is shut down, I believe. Uh, but you're you're out there chasing a dream. Uh, you want to be what? And what do you want to be when you grow up? Come on, BJ. So, uh, I'm still thinking about that answer. But <laughs> I'm your traditional a- actor, comedian, you know, TV host. This is kind of my my cup of tea, and. Uh, following through, I studied theater in St. Louis at St. Louis Community College, and then moved up to LA, and uh, eventually found my way through Second City and Improv Olympic and Upright Citizens Brigade, and studied improv. And I started actually in St. Louis, though, which is if you didn't know this, St. Louis has uh, a great, rich history with improv. This is where, before the Second City was created, the Compass Players started in St. Louis. 
uh, at Gaslight Square, and then they all, you know, those guys from the University of Chicago moved up to to Illinois and uh, later formed the Second City. Paul Sills, uh, Viola Spolin's son, and and from there in 1959, it it grew and. So there you go, yeah. Have there been any uh, uh, productions that we would have seen you on? Were you an extra on anything? Because I was on, <laughs> I w- no, 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 I was an extra on, um, oh, Robert Stack had that show, Unsolved Mysteries. And Get out of here. I, I was. terrified me as a kid. They, uh, they, they paid me $50 for the day and uh, all the pizza I could eat, and we uh, filmed up in St. Charles. But not to bore you with that, uh, have you gotten some traction? Uh, or are you doing any writing for any shows that we uh, may yeah. see? I, uh wrote a sketch and I played in a, in a sketch on Jimmy Kimmel. I played an alien. That's up. You can see that on my YouTube. That oh, wow. Back. And okay. Yeah. There's a couple of things on comedy central. Uh, I currently work. So this is kind of interesting. I merged both my military and my acting background. And because I became an air force medic with my experience, I was able to not just come on and work as, as um, you know, spe- what they call a special ability background actor, uh, and of course, yes, I've done some commercials and, you know, some feature films, and I'll talk about that here in a second. But although people kind of crap on the idea of working as a background actor, I, I kind of found this this uh, mix, this uh, convergence of both working with my medical background and my acting background. And on Fox's 911, I work as a medical advisor on the show occasionally. No way. Special. Yeah, so you'll see me a lot working in the background, but we show the 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 director, what would look real in the real world. Right. Uh, for instance, I've worked on a flashback scene uh, to Afghanistan where they were working in a, um, you know, mash hospital that was set up. So I got to, you know, use a lot of my experience there. And I do that probably about every six weeks, but obviously everything's kind of, kind of shut down. Well, so we're talking with BJ Lang. He's a St. Louis boy, even owns a home here in the St. Louis area, but lives in LA. Uh, but h- here's what my first thought when I thought thought of you and I thought of uh, Second City and improv and how important that is, but let me tell you, since the uh, the evolution of where we're at in this world today, everybody is on Zoom, and I'm going to tell you, if you're not engaged, if you're not looking into the camera, if you're not doing some certain things yep. like smiling, you look miserable on your Zoom uh, meeting. So if you're a business person working from home like a lot of people are, this is where Second, Second City might come in handy just to make you more lively because right now we're all living in this 2D world on a screen, right? That's exactly right. And this is the opportunity to be able to kind of embrace what's happening right now. We, we, we refer to this as an escape. It's like indoor recess for adults. And by the way, we're not just talking adults. We teach kids and teens and all that stuff as well, uh, both in person between Chicago, Toronto, and Los Angeles. Yeah. But now that it's online, anybody anywhere could study uh, at Second City and get the experience. And I, I need to mention, because this is really from my heart, Bo, that improv to me isn't just a performance skill. Yes, it's going to help you. Obviously, you and I working in entertainment, we need that skill set for that. But this is really about being able to connect with each other, have a little bit of respite from the craziness of COVID that's going on right now, be able to build on some interpersonal skills and collaborate. You know, this is where collaboration comes alive. What we say, the language of agreement, being able to listen to each other, problem solve and of course just simply play for lack of better terms everyone's familiar with improv from like you know whose line is it anyway and wild and out and love those like shows that. But yep. yes great and great stuff and a lot of my teachers were you know on those shows 
Uh, so I'm honored to have studied under some of the, the best minds. But now we take this skill set and we show it to people who might not want to be actors or comedians, but anybody in just whether it's a 90, 90 minute class, which like we have a series you can do it for 90 minutes once a week. Right. Or do you want to do a full on series, which could go for a year? And of course, right now we're online. So anybody anywhere can do it. BJ Lang, our guest from Second City. If people want to find out more about Second City and improv online, uh, where can they go? You can go to secondcity.com. And I, and I also want to mention, Bo, because uh, I know with your background, uh, where, you're, where you were born, by the way, on an Air Force base, well, as a proud Air Force veteran, I'm enrolled in the Air Force's Wounded Warrior Program, and this is separate, separate from the Second City, but just to show you what improv can do, the Air Force now uh, has hired me in the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, what we call AFW2, in their Wellness and Resiliency Program, to teach applied improv. So we focus on the psychological benefits of, of play and connection and life skills through improv. It's awesome. So cool. Check out secondcity.com. Yeah. That's perfect. BJ Lang. Yeah, I was uh, born in Misawa Air Force Base, Japan. Uh, so a proud Air Force brat for sure. Um, but my dad told me I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the makeup to be in the military and I appreciated his honesty. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so here I am living behind a microphone, but great to talk to you. And we will get together soon and talk again, uh, because I think there's a, your perspective on the world just might be exactly what we need from a break. Absolutely. You know, that's another thing that, and I'll say it, I don't mean to talk about improv so much, but it really is my lifestyle. The po- we learn point of view and that's one thing that'll help highlight the things that are happening in your life so we don't focus on the negative but we find the escape through the positive well said bj thank you so much for joining us in st louis coming up next the jeffrey epstein case is a scandal still shrouded in mystery what does the lawyer who represents 20 of his victims say really happened behind the headlines to bring him down coming up next the author of relentless pursuit my fight for the victims of jeffrey epstein bradley j edwards next on the voice of st louis kmox Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. A special opportunity to talk with uh, Bradley J. Edwards. He is the lawyer for more than 20 of Epstein's accusers, Jeffrey Epstein, who has spent his life fighting for victims of abuse. And I think this is so important because there's no way to prevent future atrocities without recognizing what has happened in the past. His new book, Relentless Pursuit, My Fight for the Victims of Jeffrey Epstein, is out now. And uh, so welcome to KMOX. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on. First of all, uh, how did you get involved with this case in the first place and and kind of your uh, genesis of how this began for you? Sure. I started my career as a prosecutor, prosecuting bad guys, and left the the prosecutor's office to open up a law firm representing crime victims in civil cases, which is already in and of itself a pretty niche practice. And I think I was one of the only, if not the only, uh, with that type of uh, a law firm in South Florida. When I got a call that a crime victim wanted to speak with me about something important. And she came to my office. Her name is Courtney Wild. Uh, she, she told me that she was one of many victims of this very wealthy billionaire uh, child molester in, in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, which is close to me, and that so were her friends, and that she had cooperated with a federal criminal investigation 
and was uh, wanted to understand what the status was and wasn't getting much feedback from the government, and could I help her? So initially I thought this was just a, a call to the government. They would tell me the status of this major case, probably tell me this guy's going to prison forever, and that would be it. And this was in June of 2008, and here we are in 2020 still talking. And we are. You have prosecuted the landmark crime victims' rights case, Doe versus United States, pro bono for more than 10 years. So this is really your personal mission, isn't it? Yes. Well, so, so when Courtney came to me, uh, she told me that uh, it was her and dozens of other underage girls who were cooperating in a federal investigation. I talked to the prosecutors who would not give me any information. I uh, knew that the, all of the victims had a right to confer with the government and to be treated with fairness, right. and they weren't. So I told Courtney, we have to sue the United States of America. So you see the first lawsuit we filed in June of two, July of 2008 was Jane Doe versus United States of America. The purpose of that lawsuit was to invalidate the illegal immunity agreement that the federal government had given Jeffrey Epstein nine months previous. Now, he, he has been dead since August of last year. Do we know that for sure? I know there was all questions about, you know, did he commit suicide? Was he murdered? Something like that. Do you have any information on that part of it? Was his body ever seen? You know, it's one of those things that you think, okay, is he on an island somewhere where JFK and Elvis are hanging out? And I'm not being funny. I'm just, you know, there are, there's always those questions like, really? Is he gone for sure? There's some reason for the conspiracy theories, but... He is dead. There were photographs. Okay. There is still an ongoing dispute between his lawyers and the government as to whether or not it was suicide. Uh, we believe very strongly that it was suicide. It seems like all the evidence leads in that direction, right. uh, but certainly not nearly as much fun as the memes and conspiracy theories out there. And you came face to face with him. Uh, uh, how did how did Jeffrey Epstein threaten you personally during the case that you had against him? When I was representing many of his victims against him, he did not like the way in which I was prosecuting him. Uh, he also didn't like the fact that I was also in, un, trying to undo his immunity agreement. So he filed a lawsuit against me personally, <laughs> making all kinds of false allegations. But because of his money, he was able to drag that lawsuit out for about nine years, which involved a countersuit. And the last few years leading up to what was an eventual set settlement and an admission on his part uh, that he had filed false allegations against me and that it was my relentless pursuit that held him responsible. So in essence, he named my eventual book. We sat down and met face to face at least a half a dozen times. I can tell you he was charismatic, charming, despite what I had known about him, which was that he was the most prolific serial child molester. He almost made me forget it during these conversations, and wow. you wanted to like him. There, there was some weird charm about him, uh, and, and you had to remind yourself, wait, this is a sociopath who's trying to manipulate you too. This is a monster, and human trafficking to me is one of the most horrific crimes on the planet. It happens in the middle of America. It happens all over the place, all over the world. What was the inside story on how you obtained the holy grail of evidence, which was Epstein's black book, and... Are there still people that are probably waiting for their turn to be identified? In 2009, I took a deposition of one of Jeffrey Epstein's former butlers, and I knew from, from other documents that he stole a black book from Jeffrey Epstein's computer, which contained the names of all of 
uh, Epstein's uh, associates, as well as many of his underage victims. Okay. He didn't produce it. The, the butler didn't produce it in the deposition, so I handed him my business card and said, just call me if you ever find it. Wow. Uh, he ended up calling me, I think it was the next day, maybe two days later, and said, I have what you're looking for. It's the Holy Grail. It has all of the names of his victims. And I said, good, where can I meet you? I want uh, I, I want it. And he said, here's where you can meet me. Bring me $50,000 cash. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I, no, nothing in this case can be easy. Long story short, I ended up cooperating as a confidential informant for the FBI, making controlled calls. He got arrested for obstruction of justice for the way in which he was trying to shield us from getting the information and sell it illegally. Wow. He actually went, he actually went to prison for five years, which is much longer than Jeffrey Epstein ever went to prison for engaging in uh, the various acts, you know, which, which we all, which we all know about with children. So, uh, I don't know that justice was done there, but that's how I obtained the book with respect to other people who, who know that their time is coming. I think that there are co-conspirators out there who, uh, likely will be prosecuted. I think that, uh, many of the, many of Jeffrey Epstein's associates that have been identified in the press and, and things of that nature, uh, likely will, will not be prosecuted. That's kind of just my, my guess. Sure. I can assure you that the worst of the worst was Jeffrey Epstein. By far, it's not even a close second. Um, so the, the worst is gone, and some of those that were his main enablers probably are going to have to face the music at some point in time. We are talking with Bradley J. Edwards. He's, uh, he's a lawyer and an author of Relentless Pursuit, which is available now, his fight for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. President Trump, he, he cooperated with you personally? He was the only person during the investigation. When we decided that in order to get real information, we are going to have to subpoena people who are not going to be scared of Jeffrey Epstein, which will include some of his other high-powered friends. Right. And we serve subpoenas. He's the only one whose lawyer called and said, you don't need to take his deposition. He will talk with you. He did. I think our first conversation was 30, 45 minutes. And he basically maintained an open-door policy for years when I could ask questions and he would provide information to help steer me in the right direction or away from the wrong direction. So in that sense, yes, he was. He did not shy away from helping, and he was one of the only people who demonstrated he genuinely just wasn't scared of Epstein, which was unusual. Is there other people that uh, obviously are victims that have not come forward? Is there a benefit to them if they were to reach out to you or, or the authorities, even though he's gone, is there a, a reason that they should do that? Yes. In, in fact, reaching out to me is probably the easiest way to make sure that they get to the right place right? Um, so that they understand what their rights are. And there are various authorities investigating Epstein-related activities, including the Virgin Islands, including the FBI, including Southern District of New York. And as always and forever, I will make sure that each person gets sent to the right place and that everyone can be held accountable for what they did wrong. Wow. Bradley J. Edwards, Relentless Pursuit, My Fight for the Victims of Jeffrey Epstein. Thank you for taking this mission on and, and doing the heavy lifting that you have done. Your mission in life is to continue that pursuit? My mission in life is to continue that pursuit, not only for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein, but anyone else who's similarly situated. And so that's 
that's what my law practice is, and and I feel like we take great pride in in that. I do appreciate talking to you, sir. Thank you so much. You too, great. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Wow, what a first hour that turned out to be. Lots of stuff going on, and coming up in the next hour, if you felt like you've wanted to escape from this quarantine that we're all in. Well, we're getting close to uh, the state opening up completely, the city and the county uh, starting uh, Monday is what they're saying. But coming up, we're going to talk with master paranormalist and former escape artist Michael Telstar. He holds several world records in escapology, and he specializes in mind over matter. That and a whole lot more is coming up on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX, and a break from all the coronavirus, COVID-19 coverage, and a little break from your mind to talk to a guy who really knows how to get out. And I mean uh, professionally, we've got Michael Telstar. He is uh, holding records in escapology. So think uh, David Blaine, Chris Angel, Houdini, and Michael Telstar. Welcome to KMOX and St. Louis, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm. I'm. I, thank you, uh, Bo. It's it's terrific to be here to be to be speaking to you now. Uh, you know, I've been a huge fan of magic. Uh, I've always just been a huge fan of that kind of stuff, and this has been your life. So I want to know, how did you know you could become an escape artist? What was that like? I think I read about Houdini when I was about eleven years old, ten, eleven years old, and I was fascinated by his uh, feats of escapology, and I, I read everything I could on him, and I started emulating some of the things he did. Um, some of them not with not too great success. Uh, I had some accidents because <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing, but I, I found it fascinating that here's a man who could uh, escape, um, emancipate himself from any situation or condition, no matter what it was, whether it was ropes, steel, handcuffs, straitjackets, crates, boxes, and even a large whale once got beached on the shore, and a taxidermist. Uh, cleaned it out and uh they put Houdini actually right into the whale what? and then they chained yeah and then they chained him up with a large uh, chain that they they they, they closed the slit with a large chain and a padlock now Houdini did escape right now they don't know how he escaped still because he did come through that entrance and that was the only way but he almost died too Bo, because the taxidermist had used a lot of the you know the stuff they put into a, a, a you know when they do a when they do a, a creature right yeah the, 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 the stuff that they put in the disinfectant. So he almost passed out and died uh, during that escape. I have never heard of that escape. That's in, that's insane. Oh, yeah. Everybody challenged. He had a challenge, open challenge to everybody. Carpenters, mechanics, engineers. You know, and these were fishermen, right? Michael Telstar, is this more of a, a, a mindset or is this uh, abilities with your body to be able to do these things? It's, 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 it's a little bit of both or, or a lot of both because you have to know what you're doing. You have to know how to do it, right? Um, it's difficult to rehearse some of these things, right? Because 
you have you have to rehearse. But basically, uh, I have to be a little bit of an acrobat and very flexible to be able to get out of the straitjacket. And I practice and practice and practice to do that. And mind over matter. Because you may be enclosed in a space or something so small yeah. that many people, many people would lose their nerve. Oh, I couldn't do it. So you have to be, you have to be able to. So I would practice to stand still for six, seven, eight hours without moving a muscle, lying down on the floor without moving a muscle, you know, not twitching or nothing, right? Just to be able to concentrate doing that. And David Blaine, by the way, I admire a lot. Yeah, me too. He's done some of the, yeah, he's done some of the things that I, I may have done when I was younger, except he did them on TV, but. I do admire him a lot. We're talking with Michael Telstar. He is a master of escapology, and he's also a paranormalist. Uh, he uh, showcases his abilities to levitate and move objects. And I'm a huge fan of magic, as I mentioned earlier. But what's amazing to me uh, is at age 17, you were the youngest person to ever perform Houdini's famous water cell torture escape. Yes. My question's not about the, the, yes. the, the event. My question is, what were your parents telling you? What's wrong with you, boy? Well, my 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 father and my mother saw that I had some kind of gift or something, you know, and um, they saw that I that that I was kind of different. I wasn't, you know, not your average kid. Obviously, uh, <laughs> I had my friends tie, tie I had my friends tie me up in a hundred foot rope, and I have to get out, you know, and you know, and I told my father, of course, about Houdini, and he knew who, about Houdini and my mother, and uh, <laughs> I had practiced the water cell escape for more than a year before I did it at the Guinness Museum, World Records Museum in wow. Niagara Falls. Oh, wow. And um, and then I also broke another record, too, with straight jackets there. But basically, that was a diff- that's a difficult stunt. But it appeared to be very difficult at first, right? But, of course, the more times I did it in practice, then the more confident I became. It's a matter of holding your breath, right, for four minutes. You know, they lower you in the tank. Plus... You know, you have to have a little air bubble where your nose is so water doesn't go up in your nose because you're upside down. So that was easy for me to solve because I'd been a scuba diver before that. And um, my hands were handcuffed too. A couple times I was put in a straitjacket, eh? but not too not too many times because that made it extra difficult. I bet, I bet. We're talking to Michael Telstar. He's actually in Ontario. So as an escapologist, can you, uh, can you tell us how we can get out of quarantining uh, during this crazy time? <laughs> Well, I think, I think, you know, I guess they, what they could do is uh, everybody at night dreams, right? And everybody should take advantage of this to increase their dream recall ability and to become lucid in the dream state. As you might see from my material, I, I teach people lucid dreaming and out-of-body adventures. So people should take this time to learn to remember their dreams. They can go over my site for some techniques and tips. And they could wake up in the dream state and have that escape. So, so you're saying that's a that's, learned, that's, be- is that a learned behavior, Michael? Absolutely. It's inherent and it's learned, but it's easy. It's not that difficult. Everybody does dream. And first thing to do is to re- recall your dreams by simply saying, I will remember my dreams when I wake up in the morning. And then, and then, you know, and then from there you could initiate some techniques for becoming lucid in the dream state. Have you ever had that kind of experience, Paul? I, yes, I have. I think most everybody has. Yeah. That would be cheaper than Netflix. Well, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. But you know what? <laughs> it feels like it feels like you're awake sometimes for 24 hours nonstop right. because I'm aware during the day, and then when I'm lucid dreaming, I'm also aware, emanating alpha and theta brainwave state. And you could do so much in that state. You could fly, visit other dimensions. And there is a dream dimension, eh, by the way. There's a normal dream state, and there's the uh, actual dream dimension where you could meet me if, if you knew where, if you were lucid at the same time. So people have met each other 
in that dream dimension. So it's another plateau. It's another you know dimension that actually exists. You just blew my mind, Michael. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so in this world of uh, live entertainment, of course, Las Vegas is shut down. Being a live yeah. performer, how do, what are you doing? Are you having to postpone your engagements uh, like for months now? Well, yeah, I've lost. Yeah, I've lost about a dozen bookings for the summer. I'm so sorry. And then, and then the seminars I was going to do on remote viewing and, and out of body venture for September to November, they've all been canceled. Six six conferences, and then it's in doubt whether the border is going to be open at the end of the year. I don't believe it will be. Right. And I've used my remote viewing to, to go that to do to do to see the future, and I believe it's going to be a year and a half or more before anything gets anything close back to normal to what it used to be. But I think people at this time, though, they should learn to develop their, their side faculties both. So one way is to remember your dreams more. I have some techniques and tips on my website, and I think people should take advantage of it because everything comes from the dream state, inventions, music, songs. Einstein was a good dreamer. Um, you know, Paul McCartney, every performer, inventor, actor, singer, person you can think of, have have gotten their information from the dream state. Oh wow! You know, right? I'm, I'm, and then Einstein got his theory of relativity at 16. He had a dream of writing a neutron across the cosmos. He was naked, and he was writing this atom and across the cosmos. And all the revelation of the theory of relativity came into him at that point. People don't know that he actually wrote it when he was in his teens, late teens. People have all kinds of abilities. The potential for developing these abilities is there, but not everybody, unfortunately, has the time to do it, or they should take the time to do it. You work out physically, that's important, but you should also work out with your mind, because we're only using less than 10%, right? But I've heard people that. can learn to use more of it. Yeah, people can learn. So she, you get all the information comes to you. You don't have to go after it. It's already there that exists in the matrix, in the cosmos. So people... You know, to just let it go. You just have to go to it. It'll just be there. It will come to them. For a long time, I believe that if you can envision it, you can attain it. This is uh, Michael yes. Telstar. You can learn more about Michael Telstar uh, in a number of different ways, uh, including his performances and how you can harness the power of your mind, as he mentioned, at MichaelTelstar.com. That's one L and two R's. MichaelTelstar.com. Michael, thank you so much. And I can, I really appreciate your time and the escape of all the COVID headlines. It's been kind of a nice break, sir. And I enjoyed being on your show, Bo, and I hope you you, uh, have me on again sometime. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Next, brain disorders like Parkinson's are affecting people worldwide in record numbers. What have groundbreaking neurologists discovered that can end this pandemic for good? Yes, Parkinson's is a pandemic. Next, we'll talk with Dr. Michael Oaken. He is one of a bunch of neurologists that have written a new book called Ending Parkinson's Disease, A Prescription for Action. It's coming up on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bob Matthews. If you do not have the Radio.com app, I encourage you to do that. Download it uh, wherever you buy apps. It's free to do, and it's a big blue R, and you will have that on your uh, phone or your uh, your tablet, and you can have Alexa play KMOX, and you can get uh, all the information that we share here on the radio, and we talk about a lot of different things. And I want to turn the direction towards Parkinson's disease. I know we have... 
you know, so much talk going on about uh, COVID-19, and it is overwhelming. But there are still other battles and other fights going on. And uh, I want to introduce you to uh, Michael Oaken. Uh, he has uh, written a new book uh, with four other neurologists called Ending Parkinson's Disease and a Prescription for Action. It's out now, and it tells the story of how we got here with the disease and what we can do about it. Welcome to KMOX. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And yeah. In fact, I was just in St. Louis a couple of couple of months ago as a visiting professor at Washington University so it's great to be great to be back with your listeners what a great what a great school that is my goodness let's talk about this book that uh, has just come out um, we have it's ending Parkinson's disease is that a reality it's something that we should all give some thought to and when we did the research for the book we really delved into what does it take to really get a hold of a disease. And so we looked into polio and the story of polio and sure. we looked into the story of HIV and we, we said, you know, what are, what do we need to do? And we're just not doing it. And, um, and so, so it, it's going to be tough to, to, to end it. I think all of the authors would, would concede that, but certainly we need to begin to more aggressively and more charismatically move in a direction like other diseases that have have had success. I didn't realize that there was a cause of Parkinson's that people are not aware of. And the notes that I have, there's something that causes that? So there are actually multiple causes of Parkinson. And so Parkinson can be caused by genes. So little errors in your DNA, so your genetic information. And about 10 to 15%, depending on which studies you read of cases, are um, are associated with changes in the genetic information. So that leaves what, like 80, 85% of cases that are not. And we believe, and, and one of the famous quotes is that the, um, the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. And wow. so we also believe that there's an environmental influence. And so um, one secret I'll tell you, and so when you say ending Parkinson's disease, is it a reality? Well, Parkinson's, unlike some other diseases that are out there, is not a single disease. It's a group of symptoms that that we sort of um, put together because that says humans, it's easier to sort of clump together. But you can have a genetic form of Parkinson or you can have Parkinson caused by something else. And so there's a, a variety of different forms of Parkinson and different presentations. And so as we think through the disease, it gets a little bit complicated, but the appreciation of that is part of what it's going to take for us to, to, to get over the hump. The the biggest the biggest question I don't know why it comes to mind but why is it called Parkinson's disease? Yeah, so it, it's it's an interesting story. You know, if you look back in history, generations uh, ago, you know, shaking and shaking palsy has has shown up in all sorts of uh, medical and non medical texts. I mm -hmm. mean, you can look in Shakespeare and Dick, and they talk about you know what he says, "Why dost thou quiver, man?" and uh, and it, it actually was a general practitioner in 1817 okay. that observed several people on the street that, that had various manifestations, didn't actually examine them in person. And he is credited because he wrote an essay in 1817. And later on, a very famous neurologist called Charcot and, and, and some other famous neurologists began to write about this and the name stuck. So just like everything else, it's a uh, it's a circumstance. There's a lot of reasons why things get named, but um, 
but it's stuck to James Parkinson. Wow. We're talking with Dr. Michael Oaken, uh, one of uh, five people that wrote this book, Ending Parkinson's Disease. The biggest myths about Parkinson's, uh, can you share those? There's a myth that Parkinson is not treatable, and it turns out that a lot of forms of Parkinson, remember I told you it's not one disease, a lot of forms of Parkinson, you can live good, long, happy lives, and we're doing one of the largest studies of people who live multiple decades, 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years. And I have many of these patients in my practice. And so one of the biggest myths about Parkinson's disease is that um, is that it's it's simply you know not treatable. Another myth is is there may be nothing that we can do to prevent it. Yet we know that there are certain pesticides like Paraquat that have been banned in 32 countries, that exposure to Paraquat, if you were laying a bed in Las Vegas, multiple studies over and over in the medical literature show your your risk high high for exposure to things like Paraquat. And then things like degreasers, like trichloroethylate oh or PCE, you know, things that are in, um, in, uh, in, in some of the old dry cleaning plants. And so, you know, if you laid a bed in Vegas, you know, you would have a much higher risk of coming down with Parkinson with uh, exposures to these things. And so these are just a few of the myths that we, we address. The first physical, physical cue is, uh, you know, the, the tremors or the shaking. What else is going on with a Parkinson's patient? Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you something really that, that'll, that'll blow the minds of your listeners, and that's that not every patient with Parkinson's disease actually shakes. Oh, my. And so it's only uh, four out of five. So that means one out of five, 20% of people don't shake, and, and the diagnosis is missed or muffed quite a bit. So we need to do a better job with education on the diagnosis side. In terms of what's going on in the brain, well, we... We know that there are abnormal proteins, and I don't want to get into too much doctor speak, but, but there are <laughs> Thank <these> you. <laughs> abnormal proteins. Yeah, you're welcome. You're, there are abnormal proteins that they're they're like you know, like they talk about plaque on your teeth. Yeah. You know, or you know, people talk about that when you're growing up. Well, these are like plaques on your brain, and um, they're made of different proteins. And the name of the protein in Parkinson isn't particularly important for your listeners to know, but it is called alpha synuclein. And um, as these proteins deposit in various brain regions, they attack different cells like dopamine cells, but also other cells that, that, um, that are responsible for important aspects of not only how you move, but how you think and how you act. And so another myth about Parkinson's disease is that it's just a disease of dopamine and just a disease of movement. But the studies, again, if you went to Las Vegas and you made the bet, and you said, what's the most disabling features of Parkinson's disease? It would be what we call the non-motor features, the invisible features, the things below the tip of the iceberg that you can't see, depression, anxiety, sleep dysfunction. And that surprises people a lot. And if, you're, if your doctors don't address that and they don't see that, then you could, le- you could lead, you know, not as good of a life or even a miserable life. And so it's so important that we, uh, we break these myths. So in your studies that continue to, you know, hopefully end Parkinson's at some point, maybe not in our lifetime, but, you know, passing on what you learn to other doctors down the road, what is, uh, what are you, what do you wake up every morning thinking you're going to do next? Is it, is it strictly, uh, medicines? Is it, is it uh, different dosages? This is your mission. What are you thinking about? Yeah, so I run a laboratory, you know, as well, and we develop all sorts of, of, of different exciting and emerging technologies and have been doing that for a couple 
of decades. And I, I still wake up every day excited about the, the, all the possibilities and the interesting areas like the development of vaccines and neuroimmunology and the development um, of the microbiome and, and dietary and, and, and uh, interactions between the gut and the brain and development and repurposing of uh, of drugs that could go after, you know, some of these bad players and some of these so-called plaques that tend to hang around in the in the brain. And we develop different devices to listen to different areas of the brain. But, you know, fundamentally, your question is about, like, how do you get there? And so we studied polio for the book and we studied the story of HIV and these, um, you know, real um, pioneers and activists, they were much more active than our Parkinson community is. I don't mean to criticize all my friends because I've been in this community for a long time. No, I get it. I but, get it. Um, yeah. But, you know, so, th- so you said, what's the prescription? And in, in the title of the book, it's a prescription for action. Well, if you study those diseases, you know, we came up with the acronym PACT, prevent, advocate, care for those who are suffering now and develop the new treatments. And we've got to get more charismatic. We've got to get more aggressive. I mean, the the group for HIV, they went to, you know, Jesse Helms's house and put a condom over his house to, and he never voted against them again in Congress. They oh occupied the FDA building. They put quilts on the National Mall. We just haven't reached that level of activism. And when HIV um, hit their peak, you know, with activism, you know, they were about like Parkinson. And Parkinson gets take $200 million a year from the National Institutes of Health, which is the biggest funder of research in the world, okay? And HIV gets $3 billion oh, a year. Boy. And I remember when I was an intern and we took care of people with HIV in the hospital, it was like game over. If you had HIV, it was... It was, there just wasn't anything we could do, and it, it was just heartbreaking. And now look at that investment and how that's paid and how what that disease looks like and what the medications look like and, and what we can do. So we've got to more than tenfold increase our, our spending on research, you know, in order to develop. Uh, but we've also got to take care of the people, care for the people who have the disease now and, and break that myth that it's not treatable because we can really care for and treat these symptoms we can see and the symptoms we can't see. We've got to prevent and preventing means getting things like Paraquat um, off the off the market. And so we actually have a pact that people can go to our website, Ending PD, that they can sign. And everybody hashtags Parkinson Pact and they hashtag uh, Ending PD. And it's sort of a, it's a fun grassroots movement, but it's, it, it's, it's fun, but it means a lot because if the people come on to to getting on board with with this idea of prevent, advocate, care, and develop treatments. This is the path. This is the path we need to get on. One of the things we keep hearing about when it comes to COVID-19 is anybody with pre-existing conditions uh, are most vulnerable to that pandemic that's going on. We're going to talk to Dr. Oaken about that, the connection and the dangers between those with Parkinson's disease and those that test positive for COVID-19. It's coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We're talking with Dr. Michael Oaken. Uh, he has the book uh, with other doctors uh, called Ending Parkinson's Disease. And uh, we've gone, you know, as long as we've talked, we haven't really mentioned COVID-19. But I do want to mention this. Is there a concern for your the Parkinson's patients or, or people that have Parkinson's that you know of that so many people with pre-existing conditions 
uh, are at a disadvantage when it comes to battling COVID-19. Is, is there a tie-in there that you guys are aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I think it's really important for everybody listening that, that has relatives with neurodegenerative diseases like, like Parkinson to understand uh, what the risks are and how big the risks are. And, and there, there is some misinformation. And the Parkinson's Foundation, I've been doing their medical directorship since 2006. We got on and we've been doing these Facebook Lives. And to give you an idea how much information people need, the first Facebook Live that we did on coronavirus right as the virus was hitting 75,000 Parkinson patients got on that Facebook live. And so we've done this five or six times. Yeah. Uh, we have a free helpline for patients at one 800 the number four PD info. And we, we are really trying to explain what the risk means. And so we actually don't have data. So don't believe anybody that says they have data when they don't, we don't have data. That a lot of says, fake news out there, buddy. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a few, there's a few things out there, right? So, there's a lot of data that that says that um, that it, there's increased risk of getting COVID if you have Parkinson's disease. I haven't seen a single shred of data that 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 says that. But what your listeners should know is is that if you have Parkinson, so your immune system's in pretty good shape with Parkinson. But if you have Parkinson and you get COVID, your risk of recovering is higher. I mean, sure. you're at a higher risk because of the Parkinson because your lungs don't work quite as good because Parkinson patients can get more pneumonias. They don't move quite as well. Some do, some don't. But but the risk of recovery is much is is much harder. And so we actually set up a page at the Parkinson's Foundation at parkinson.org backslash coronavirus, all one word, coronavirus. And we've got all this information for patients out there to try to make sure we're getting accurate information. And I tell people, call your doctor right away if you have symptoms so you can get tested and then they can advise you. And we still try to keep you at home if we can. So I have a lot of Parkinson patients that I care for all over the country. When they get sick with COVID, we try to keep you in your home and try to do all the right things and and see what we can do, but it's still very much prevent. And so stay home, wash your hands, get rid of those friends that are annoying you, close the door, you know, get deliveries. And, um, and it's like being in the mob, right? Lay low for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, witness protection <laughs> yeah, like, program. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and I bring that up because, you know, when, when this all started coming on and uh, the, the White House uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, task force was talking about the, the billions and the now trillions of money that they're throwing at the at the vaccine. Uh, it it kind of broke my heart because I lost my mom to cancer many years ago. And I thought, gosh, if the country would throw that kind of money at cancer. You know, where would we be at that battle? And now you have a mission you've been on for many years uh, with ending Parkinson's disease. It, 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 it probably made you, you feel that, okay, yes, this is a pandemic for the entire human race. But it's like, wow, if we could have just got some of that, we might have made some head, you know, headway in our fight. I take your point. It's very disappointing to us year after year as we, we seem to be fighting for peanuts to, to try to to try to move the needle in a, in a, in a, in a significant way. And so we don't even need an investment of trillions of dollars to get there. But the the big question that your listeners should think about is what if we don't do anything about neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson and like Alzheimer's? Well, in you and I's lifetime, we, there's a one in 15 chance we're going to get Parkinson's disease, one in 15. So if you were in a classroom of 30, when you grew up, Two people that you know, one of them might be you, and that class is going to get Parkinson's disease. This is huge. And in fact, 
the with the growing and aging population and age isn't the only thing that's driving this industrialization is driving this growth there's a lot of reasons why we're seeing more and more parkinson it has now become the most rapidly growing um neurological disease period really rapidly growing neurological disease period we don't completely understand why and it's not just from aging and so um so we get into this discussion a bit in the book but it's it's a little bit scary. And if you look at the numbers, you know, it's more than linear growth. It's logarithmic growth, you know, kind of what you're seeing here in this pandemic. Um, it's worrisome because it can bankrupt the um, the healthcare system. And I'll tell you, your listeners, an interesting fact that there was a, we had um, pondered one of the titles that had come across with the publisher was the Parkinson pandemic. And we talk about the Parkinson pandemic. In fact, I talked about it in one of my last books, but back in 2013, pan means all, demos in Greek means um, means people. And so it, Parkinson disease and many other diseases actually fit the definition of the word pandemic. Wow. But the word now has been has been um, now pulled over by the World Health Organization, and people widely recognize it as a, as a, as being associated with infectious diseases, which I think is appropriate. But if you look at the definitions of pandemic, some but not all diseases fit them, and Parkinson certainly, with its rapid growth, fits all of the defining characteristics of a pandemic. And wow. so we actually talk about that in the in the book. It's kind of an interesting history. The word is a, it, it's a Greek word. So the, the, the book itself, is it good for anybody that uh, has a family member that has it or not necessarily? But does it read more like a medical book for, uh, is this a, a, a doctor that's going to be reading this book? Uh, who would be your best customer to pick it up? Well, I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth because I've written a lot of boring books. I've written 12 <laughs> books. So uh, this one is the least boring of the group because it's it's not just, you know, medical speak it, it reads a lot more you know like a story sure. and a lot and and it, it tells the story of polio it tells the story of hiv it comes to a point it brings you you know kind of crescendos and decrescendos and it brings you to that desire and then it, it builds you up to what can we do and, and makes the points very sharply as to why the the pact prevent advocate care and treat is the path forward and why that is so it's, it's kind of a little bit malcolm gladwell-ish if you like that him as an author uh, but um but i think it's a good read and it and certainly my family members who won't read anything that i wrote have enjoyed it so uh, i think that's probably as good of an okay. indication as <laughs> that's, anything. A, that's an endorsement right there other family members are willing to read it right so. is, is there an audiobook version of it as well there is an audiobook, and it's super important to us to have it in all formats because you know some of our patients and family members can't access it in any other way. We've got a beautiful British voice on there that sounds way smarter than I do, so, uh, <laughs> so you should definitely check that out. Dr. So, Oaken, thank you so much for your time. The book is Ending Parkinson's Disease, A Prescription for Action. It is out and available on all platforms. Sir, good luck with your continued fight against Parkinson's. Thank you. Good luck and uh, really enjoy the city of St. Louis and keep that chess corridor going. We got my son uh, has his chess master there in St. Louis. So call out to all the great chess you have there. So take care. That's awesome. And uh, come see us again soon in person. Okay. Will do. You know, there is one thing that I miss just as much as going to my favorite restaurant during this uh, time. Uh, that we're all living through is live music. And I'm talking about the national acts, but I'm also talking about 
the local musicians that we have. We have such great musicians here, great groups, great solo performers, great writers. Well, we're going to check in with probably one of the most well-known artists of the St. Louis area, Johnny Holsom. He's had the Well Hungarians for over 27 years in this area. He's a good friend of mine. We're going to check in with him and the music community coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. KMOX is St. Louis's news, talk, sports, radio. Come on in. What the heck? It's The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us for the program and uh, hopefully you got a lot out of it of course i want to remind you to download the radio.com app because there you can actually hit the rewind button and if you want to share one of the stories that i had uh, throughout this program or anything else you hear uh, you can share that with people and remind everybody to download the radio.com app and of course the podcast every show is created as a podcast but before we uh, close out the show uh, something that has been on my mind a lot lately and it's anytime i hear any kind of music is I think about our local musicians. And we have some of the best musicians right here around the St. Louis area. And during this shutdown, uh, no bars, no restaurants. It's so sad if you think of, of that sector of our life, the people that bring us the live music, it is very sad. And you got to wonder what they are up to. One of my very good friends for many years is Johnny Holsom with the Well Hungarians. And Johnny's on the line right now. Welcome to KMOX, man. How you doing? Hey, Bo, all in all, I'm doing great, man. Your voice sounds like it's dropped an octave. You must not have been singing enough. <laughs> I I uh, imagine it has something to do with it. Yeah, man, I, as much as I'd love to be singing every day like uh, I typically would, um, there's been a lot of rest for uh, for me and a lot of people when it comes to our, our voices. You know, before I reached out to you, I have to tell you, uh, of all the times that I've seen you guys play, the Well Hungarians have done massive New Year's Eve parties and Halloween parties and weddings and private in- engagements. You guys were probably, I-, I think you're one of the most well-known local acts in St. Louis. Um, and I've got to ask you, when did you first find out that, uh-oh, we're going to be shutting down the band for a while? Uh, where were you? Do you remember? I, I do. We we were at uh, it, we we have a couple of regular uh, weeknight venues that we where we perform, and uh, the kind of the buzz was going on. You know, a few days out, they oh, they're talking about closing the state. They're talking about closing this, that, and the other. And it became apparent very quickly that it was uh, it was the real deal and was going to have a very adverse effect, not just on us and our industry, but on a lot of a lot of different industries. Absolutely, I remember seeing the video footage of Mark Cuban at a basketball game. And it showed him looking at his phone and him looking up and looking at his friends like, what? They're shutting down, you know, because the NBA was the first one to shut down. Yeah. Uh, but on a local level, we have so many bars and nightclubs around our area. And you've played at every one of them probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you look to your band uh, that you've got, you've, you're a big band too. What do you say to your guys? Well, you know, this has been uh... – everyone's living anyone that, that, that's in my group over the 27 years that i've had the group it, this is everyone's primary income they're they're truly their job their right. career their living however you want to define it uh, and so that obviously equates to their main source of income and uh when when things started trickling in i gave the guys a few little heads up you know you might consider go getting some money out of the bank kind of stushing something aside right. uh, maybe stock up on some on some things but ultimately uh when things became very clear and evident that they that this is a complete shutdown um you want to believe that either having a little side hustle uh is, a, is something you can turn to 
or fitting the stereotypical musician, unfortunately, uh, some of my contemporaries, not necessarily my bandmates, but some of my contemporaries, um, they're really in, in a hard place. Yeah. I've preached for years to anyone that's been, uh, whether they've been in my group and my organization, you've got to have be fiscally responsible. Um, you can't do the live in, you know, your parents' basement, uh, uh, leech off of your girlfriend type of thing that there, there's a, there's a romance to that there's a rock and roll romance to that. But the reality is when, when the hard times come, you're really screwed. And so doing some, the, the basics, you're, you're self-employed, basically do the basics, invest, uh, create some savings and have something else you can turn to uh, in times of trouble. Uh, we were a bit spoiled because here for you know all these years doing 200, 250 shows a year, well, you know, it was always there. There was never a question. Of now, it. let's go back to 2008 when the crash happened and it was a horrible economy. Was it Was it bad for the band or were you still out playing, if you remember back in that day? I mean, this is just so different now what we're going through compared to then, but did things slow up a little bit at that time? Do you remember? Well, humbly for us, it, it did not. Uh, we were able to maintain work. And if, if a venue or a client knows that by having us, they're going to make money, well, then they're going to have us. Uh, and so that, that's where having a, a very dedicated following and doing the proper marketing things that, that any band should do, that any business should do. Um, is going to ensure that you have a room full of people who are spending money. You know, in times of desperation, times of trouble, times you know when, when uh, things aren't right, people still want to be entertained. People still want to go have a drink. People want to socialize to forget about all of that crap. Of life, right? <laughs> and so part of what we get to do is give them that escape. You know, because this is kind of an ebb and flow business. We, while we're pretty consistent with our schedule, with our work, there are times where things kind of, maybe slow down and pick up again. And that's just a very cyclical and seasonal thing. Sure. Too. Of course. Of course. And, and so now as, as things are starting to open up again, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to reach out is because I did see on your Facebook page that you are, uh, still booked in June. Uh, where at down at the lake. Yeah, we'll be back picked down at the lake at uh, shady gators on June 26th and 27th. And it's, it's really weird to think that, that we still have no, no, confirmed shows between now and that time oh. um some of the venues are, are going to start to have a little bit of entertainment but given the restrictions both in illinois and missouri um if a place can only have 50 people in their room you know a club or bar has to ask themselves is it worth having a band in here paying a band uh, to just have 50 yeah. people. Is it, is it an economical, smart decision uh, just to stay open? But, well, hey, man, I appreciate you uh, checking in. Johnny Holsom of the Well Hungarians, uh, my guest, I wish you luck to not just you, but all the talented musicians in St. Louis, man. Just stay strong, okay? Bo, very grateful, man, for the many, many years that you've supported live music in this town, uh, that, that you've been there for all the musicians and the venues in this town. You're a man that should be... Uh, uh, you know, accolades should come a lot more than what they've come. come to oh man, no, no, no! You're the light. I'm the moth. I just uh, you you started up. You started the band. I show up, <laughs> brother. I'm so very grateful, man. And and the thought that, that you would even check in on us uh, that's 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 so cool. We're all doing good. Uh, everybody keep their heads up, and as soon as the people are ready to have it and they're allowed to have it, we'll be out there with uh, with music uh, for another 27 years. Dang right. Wh when can we? Uh, where can we find you on Facebook? What's your uh, What's your handle? Just Well Hungarians. Well Hungarians. Yeah.
Perfect. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for this uh, week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. Be safe, be well, and keep it moving. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.